Welcome to Doing It Best with Elder Care Success, where we explore ways to relieve the stress, exhaustion, and overwhelm that we all face in caring for an aging parent, frail spouse, or partner. Fear, frustration, emotional and financial strain does not have to be your MO. Stay tuned as we dive into different and new ways of finding more joy together with those that we love and care for and while keeping our feet solid on the ground. Hang tight, there is a better road ahead. Today, my guest is Alexandra Shalif, or as her friends call her, Sasha. I call her Sash because it's a lot easier. And we've known each other for, I think, 100 years, Sasha, right? Absolutely. Give her a take. Well, and since I'm not 100 yet, and you're much younger than I am. Oh, yes, so. of course I am. All right, some days it seems like 100. What, what is really fascinating about Sasha's experience is that she is a hypnotherapist as well as a regular therapist, but she's used hypnotherapy in the OR room over, what, the, how many years now Ten. has it been? 10 years with up to 10,000 examples or, or so of, of case studies that you've gone through, is, correct? correct? What I find fascinating is that this is a different way of thinking about anesthesia for an older person, especially somebody who may have a cognitive impairment or even not putting anybody some sort of medical-induced, I don't want to say outage, but I'm going to call it outage right now. <laughs> you, sort of like turn, you, you turn the switch off for a little while. Or, or you dim it down. Dim it down. Okay, so that can be scary. And I know you and I had a conversation when this was something that we were considering for my dad. He had a BAV, which is a, basically a balloon that went into his heart to open up the valve that was a, a little sticky. And the doctor said, don't worry, we're not going to do anything drastic. They just sort of put him into a, a bit of a twilight. But if he needed something more severe, they too were concerned at 98 years old what full anesthesia and knocking it down a little bit or a lot in that case might have been. But you and I talked about how to make this easier and that it does help more senior people on the fear of cognitive issues, even if they are mentally stable and they go in, the challenges of mentally stable are they coming, coming out. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what actually happens during anesthesia, and especially for an older brain? Well, it's very interesting because in the last 10 years, I would say the last five years, in the OR where I worked, there were more older patients. And I had worked with a number of patients between 90 and 100. So one would anticipate that this would be a more difficult experience for them because they're more, should I use the word fragile, but physiologically they are. And they were champs. They were absolutely champs because once they understood that someone was going to be there, so let me back up, that wasn't the question you asked me. The anesthesia station is looks like something out of Star Wars in the sense that it has so many different kinds of input from the person's body. And it's it's useful for me as the hypnotherapist in there to get a sense of what's going on with the body as it proceeds. So that every heartbeat, every breath, every every nerve response, everything is clearly visible on these machines so that it can be very carefully calibrated. And I think that's particularly important in the older patient because Sometimes we have the sense that everybody's going to get the same amount of anesthesia. As you said with your dad, they said they would keep them under light, which means very carefully or carefully monitored with everybody. But it's done from the least amount to the most amount, depending on what the body is telling them, what the brain is telling them. And it doesn't necessarily have to deal with body weight. 
Not at all. Correct? No. Because no. you think it takes more to, to knock an elephant down than, let's say, a person. And that's, you think, I think of it in National Geographic, which is kind of crazy in this, these stories. To some extent, it's the heavier patient has more fat to absorb things. But that does not seem to be as much of an issue as age and general condition and all of those kinds of well, in the body ages, it's a lot more frail and, and more sensitive to chemical sensitive. outside reactions, as, as I've seen and, and learned over the years. So now that we have at least a little bit of an understanding of the anesthesia and what it looks like, you know, sort of the whole procedure and, and what it can do, what is hypnotherapy and, and how does that work? Because, and you and I have talked about this, I kind of think like woo-woo doctor, right? Yes. <laughs> Somebody's working their magic and I'm going okay, right, yes. you know, to be talking like a chicken in the middle of an operation. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I think I said to you the other day, very often people will say, can I make them do something they don't want to do? And I've always said, if I could make my husband put his coffee cup in the dishwasher instead of on the counter, then I'd know I could move on to making somebody quack like a duck. As an aside, where that information comes from is stage hypnosis. People who do stage hypnosis are taught and are practiced in looking into an audience and seeing those people who are eager to be part of the experience. So for them, quacking like a duck is not a big deal. So that you would not... So some of it could be staged and maybe not real on that, on, on that front? Or That's how? true, but some people are just more willing. And so they would take that critical barricade away. And but I'm laying on it on an operating table. On the operating table, you know, this is... And, and, and the scalpel's coming down. I'm probably not going to quack like a duck. I'm going to scream like a baby. You know, I've, never, I've never seen that. And uh, believe me, I've studied hypnotherapy in the OR, many different sources and many different people. That doesn't happen. What happens is that even before there's any kind of incision, there's a topical, I don't want to say, like numbing agents, topical, right? topical things applied that just like when you have a, a shot, they'll very often, if you have a steroid shot, they'll spray you first. So that's the first order. So that the body is not getting that it's already prepared. I think like psycho. Right. <laughs> right. So there's, for me, the preparation for someone before they go in, whether they can completely understand it or not, and I'm very careful with my language. If somebody wants to know in depth about what's going to happen and how their brain will respond, happy to go there. If they're not, then I keep it much more simple. There's a time period before an operation that somebody has decided that they want to use hypnotherapy and the doctor, the surgeon, and the surgeon's team have agreed to say, yes, this is something that we're comfortable dealing with. What do you do to prepare the patient? They have to be willing participant in hypnotherapy. Well, I don't necessarily go in to someone and say, by the way, I'm going to mess with your mind, so I make this operation work. Oh, please, mess with my mind. <laughs> I know a few minds you should mess with. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> but what I do is introduce myself to someone and ask them a few questions to establish some kind of rapport. I know a great deal about them beforehand. And unless somebody's absolutely without any ability to respond to that, they'll usually give me some information. And then I will tell them what I do. I, and my job is to help you relax, to heal quickly after this operation is concluded. And by the way, I've worked with over 4,000 patients, and it's been very successful. That is a post-hypnotic suggestion right there. So you take the edge off right from the beginning in that particular case. So 
there's a sense of calm that starts. And do you practice hypnotherapy with them before an operation, like a couple of weeks ahead? Or is there no. is there like a gradation into it or, or not? That would be ideal. It's not as possible as, as one might think. That would be my preference to do it before. I don't usually have more than eight to ten minutes. Really? Yes. And so I have to work with it there. But as I say to all the nurses, all the doctors, all the anesthesiologists, everyone is a hypnotherapist. And so it's being careful with your language so that you say, now, do you always get nauseous after anesthesia? Have you gotten nauseous before anesthesia? You know, we can give you I something do. for nauseous. Nauseous, nauseous. So my job is to go the other way and say to somebody, here's my experience. And my experience says, you're going to do very well. So that's the beginning. Now they're they're out. I'll use that term, the non-technical <laughs> term. They're they're out. They're like, oh, you know, uh, on the table. Right. The procedure has started. No, no. Let go back up. Back up, Nancy. Okay. Because when someone goes into the OR, there's a good bit of time before anesthesia is given. During which time the team that supports the surgeon and the anesthesiologist is very busy. At that time, I have told the patient beforehand. My job is the best job of all because I get to stand there with you, remind you of the techniques we practice, just hold your hand. And so while everybody... So it's like having mom there holding my hand all the time, right? It's okay. Or dad or whoever, your your loved one, just taking that off. Generally beforehand, I'm able to help them access an experience in their past that was really pleasant and lovely. And I'll say, you know, remember the time you told me about when you were on a canoe in the lake or you were sitting in your garden? Let's just go back to that right now and think about that. I want you to take a deep breath in. I'm holding their hand. So when all of that's going on around them, with kindly people, but who are very busy, that's already a very soothing interaction. Well, that's great. So because you're always nervous going into, I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody who's not nervous going into some sort of operation or procedure. Well, again, it depends on the work that's done beforehand because I have the luxury of telling more or less, depending on what they want to hear, what's going to happen, how well they're going to feel afterwards, because when you go in to have something resolved, you're going to feel better than you have been. Otherwise, you know, why would you be having surgery? Yeah, I remember a, a number of years ago, I had to have my gallbladder taken out, and the doctor said, now you have to watch this little PowerPoint presentation, video presentation that the hospital was doing. And every other slide was, you know, here's what's going on, and it was, and by the way, you could die. <laughs> and then the next slide was this, and it was, by the way, you could die. And then by the end, you know, I was like, and by the way, you could die. Now, I know why they were doing this from a, a legal perspective. But when the doctor said, well, and how much did you like that video? Was it very informative? So I said, well, yes. And, you know, by the way, you could die. And they looked at me and she sort of like choked and said, well, too much. I said, yes, by the way, it was a little too yeah, much. A lot too much. It's true. And I've never known anyone to die from gallbladder. So, you know, and yet I've known people to walk across the street and get hit. I think those, that's a hypnotic suggestion. It was a very interesting experience in watching the video, and I, I think I know why they were obviously doing it. They want the, the patient to be educated, but even still. So we've gone through the beginning stage. You're holding their hand. They're in all the, the setup. They're in the operating room or on the operating table before 
they start to be calmed down and I'll call, you know, quote unquote, put under, <laughs> right, made comfortable. So now the operation is started, the procedure is started. What does that look like from your perspective? And what do you see to try and help the individual who's going through the, the operation, make sure that they don't wake up or they can manage on a better plane? It's very rare that somebody wakes up only because the anesthesiologist is watching machines so carefully, the, you know, the computer screen where you can tell what's going right. on. But what I do is, and here's where there's research on both sides, the research that I believe in and have followed is that even though part of you is asleep and the pain pathway has been interrupted, Part of your brain is available for positive suggestion, or negative for that matter, but I only deal with positive suggestion. So what I do is I am behind the screen, and I bend down to their ear, and I remind them to keep steady breathing and to remember that they're going to have an easy, comfortable position, that they have the technique to soothe and comfort. I'm calm just thinking, I mean, hearing you right now. I mean, you just like... I was up in the middle of the night just dealing with some stuff and I couldn't sleep. And just hearing you say that, it's like, ah, you've just relaxed a little bit. So I I can imagine how that would play out. I think it does because I'm there when when they are coming out of anesthesia or returning to the the present world rather than, than the internal world. And it's usually a very calm one. And there again, I will put my hand on them and say, now you can start the healing. Rather so, and that's that's when they're coming out. So the anesthesia is reduced even lower. So they're it's or cut off. But you're still there, gently bringing somebody's mind back to a state of presence. If, if that's sort of a, a correct statement. Yeah, and also we consider, for instance, I'm going to explain an anchor. Do you ever hear music and suddenly you're transported back to your high school days? Oh, absolutely. That's right. an yeah. accidental anchor. That's a time when there was a, a sensory input during ideally a good time. It happens with bad times too. So when I hold their hand and I talk to them, have created an anchor of safety. So as they're emerging, I hold their hand and touch them and remind them of that anchor of safety and comfort. And touch is so important. I mean, we're dealing through this right now with COVID and how many people, we we had, uh, my husband and I had dinner with some friends the other week, you know, social distancing outside at a restaurant, right? (laughs) Just clarify where we were. Even still, I, you know, I wanted to give them a hug, and it was, it was a horrible feeling to just not say, gosh, it's just so good to see you, yeah. and express it other than you know, a bow and a wave from a distance and right. passing drinks around the table, which, quite frankly, if there's anything going on, it's still going to be passed around because we're, right, we're holding different things. But that, that sense of touch is, even for me, I feel lost. We are basically herd animals. I mean, if you... You see groups of young animals, whether it's puppies or calves or anything, there or elephants. There is that need for the young to touch and be touched, and we right. never lose that. Which is a wonderful sensation to have, but it's it's you know it's we're slightly getting off topic, but it's part of it because it brings you to a point of mental mental kindness yeah. i'll call it right just for yourself and for for others and the anxiety has got to be much higher for somebody when there's there's not another person to hold their hand as they're coming out of anesthesia because you're cold and you're alone and bright lights strangers kind of don't know where you're, right and you don't know where you are i mean you do but you don't right. and you may not be feeling too good and yet there's controversy in the medical field because i've talked to 
I've either given lectures or talked, as to how important that is in the recovery of a patient. The touch. The touch and the comfort during a time when they're feeling separated from loved ones, separated from their usual environment, separated from their usual sources of comfort. Yeah, I remember, like the, especially with the, um, the gallbladder operation, being like shaken, like, hello, hello, wake up, wake up. I'm thinking, God, just leave me the hell alone. <laughs> I'm not feeling too good. Like, where? <laughs> now you're like waking me up to tell me I, I got to leave. I know. My husband's waiting for Like, I tell him to wake. you around. <laughs> That's one thing that's changed in the environment of the ORs where I've worked encouraging people, modeling people, that you don't have to be abrupt or brusque when someone's coming out of anesthesia. They're going to emerge anyway, and I've never understood that. And so... Even when there's like a lineup of bodies just waiting to, you know, think you've got clockwork, you know, how many can you get done, how many hip operations, how many knees, how many gallbladders, whatever it is, it's become a factor. And, and that's hard when you're the patient. It, I know it's hard when you're the doctor and the technician, but I think we've sort of forgotten that the person who's gone through it has even greater stimulus going on around them than the doctors and the, and the technicians who are, who are doing this as part of their rote job. Right, exactly true. And while they may have, while the surgeon who removed your gallbladder may have done 5,000 gallbladders, it's your only gallbladder. This yeah, is your time, kind of, sort of. your gallbladder. So it doesn't, it's nice that that expertise is there, but you really want to feel that important. You are there. I'm presuming um, from a layperson that there is research that anesthesia can impact the memory and the brain permanently or at least for a longer period of time, especially in an older brain that's more frail and may have other things going on that we don't know about. And this is designed to not only have the body have less toxins in it while it's going through procedure, but also to help reduce the impact on the brain and ideally the memory over a longer period of time on a frail brain or any brain, correct? correct? Absolutely correct. So no, I remember a number of years back, I had referred you to a friend whose dad had passed away when he was a teenager. He'd gone in for some operation and he never came out. He died and he had to have the gallbladder surgery or something similar. And he was scared to death. I mean, he was freaked out and he didn't, he said, Nance, I'm going to go in. I'm going to be just like my dad. I'm, I'm not going to come out. What do I do? And I said, well, I'm not, not a medical profession, but Scott, I think you should talk to my friend, Sasha. And I called you to see if you could do this over the phone. Right. And you did. And he said to me afterwards, he called me after, and I said, so how was it? And he said, I have to tell you, even over the phone, she wasn't there during the operation and afterwards. But the words and the support that Sasha gave me got me through it, which to this day, I know he's thankful for it. So this is not impossible for somebody to do at least some preparation on a phone consultation, correct? It is. As I recall, this person, we were able to add the visual component, which, if it's possible, is wonderful Mm -hmm. because you get to see each other's faces. And that's also something. It can be done on the phone. It just adds another component of comfort to be able to see as well as, as well the more senses you you use as a person right. the more engaged you are the sight yeah. sound touch taste yep. what's happening right now in the medical community as it relates to this there's a lots of alternative medicine that's going on but how accepted is this really being in the OR? I know you've had some great support and surgeons who love this but I don't hear about it happening anywhere else well as far as I know I'm the only 
only hypnotherapist that goes into the OR. I believe that there have been, on some occasions, acupuncture, but very few of those. What happens is tradition. You've been doing, you always do what you've always done because you've been taught that that's effective and the right thing to do. And after all, most people always survive surgery, but they thrive. It's doing the studies on the brain and the emotions afterwards that is given support to the fact that it's important. Now, having said that, during COVID, it's been extremely difficult. And one of the things I'm interested in is what kind of impact telehealth is going to have on people. Because it's, it's wonderful to be able to do this as we're doing, because we're looking at each other on Zoom. But is that the same thing, being in a room with somebody's energy and their breathing and warmth and that kind of thing? I suspect not. I would tend to agree with you. I had a telehealth scenario because I needed to have something updated with my doctor. I hadn't been in for a physical because it was canceled. Right. And the PA, we, we went through some stuff. And she, I could tell you, she was not that she wanted to do this, but she's counting the seconds, not the minutes, but the seconds, because got to go on to the next, got to go on to the next. And it's even more condensed right. on a video call or a telehealth call than you are in person. And you, so you miss some of those sensory pickups. Absolutely. Somebody reading body language. And I think that it distances the doctor even further from the patient, even not meaning to, even if the best of intentions. And so, yes, all of these things can be done. There's more dependence on testing. Um, I had something recently where I have a bad shoulder. So I went to the orthopedic and he said, we're going to give you a shot. Now I went to a place I'd never been with people who are all masked, of course. Right. And when the interventional radiologist came in, a new term, radiologist, give a shot. He's in a hazmat suit, all covered. And as I said to him, I couldn't recognize you anywhere. So I felt it was a completely out-of-body experience. And so that gets translated more into dealing directly telehealth with your doctor who then says you need further tests and then you go to people that right so you the patient actually reacts differently and and when you're dealing with hypnotherapy then i sort of want to bring it back to the discussion on where this is going now you have a team of doctors well surgeon right and her and, and his team that you've done with over the years that have accepted this but in general our doctors and anesthesias i would imagine the anesthesiologists are saying whoa you're taking my job away you're like get out of here lady i'm like you you take your woo-woo stuff someplace that's else right. that's take my job yeah. you know go someplace right. else well yeah yes and no if the surgeon says to the anesthesiologist it's okay with me, then I'm not necessarily embraced, but I'm accepted. Once I've been in that with that group more than once, they begin to see that it's an add-on rather than a takeaway. And then the patient can ask for this or no? Yes, patient can. Yeah. So the, the patient can actually ask to have this type of care provided during an operation? Absolutely. But the doctor can still say, no way, Nancy, you take it or leave it? Yes. And it's not necessarily a great thing for me. I'd be kind of ticked off right. if I believed it in this. I'd also, and I am, I'm kind of like the patient that the doctor wants to run away from. <laughs> says, yes. you know, I believe you, doc, but here's the deal. It's, it's like, if you don't and something goes wrong, you're like a thousand percent responsible. Okay. So how do we want to handle this? But Nancy, I've known you for so long. Look what you do. You're always advocating. You're always advocating for the better way. You're advocating for people in 
with elder care success cannot advocate for themselves. At least to have the discussion, right? Because if we can't do it as caregivers or people who are involved in supporting those that we love, then it makes it difficult for people that we're caring for to be heard. And it's, it's the discussion I think that's so important. But I love what you're doing, Sasha. I mean, the, the whole hypnotherapy is something that I had not been aware of till you started to do it. And I'm not sure how I haven't had needed an operation since we since you've been doing this I'd certainly want to try it I'd be a little scared I have to admit because it's taking away something where I know I'm going to be like knocked out and I'll probably never remember anything well then I probably would never remember anything this anyway right or your brain still does remember stuff your brain does remember and there was a very famous hypnotist who called himself a hypnotherapist and much of his practice was with people who had undergone surgery, remembered nothing, and went to him, and then were able to recall it in a trance state, including pieces of information that absolutely were not generic. And so you had to be there in order to remember. That, I think that would probably freak me out even more. <laughs> From a patient perspective, like, ah, remember the night going, ah. <laughs> it, it actually doesn't look like that in surgery. but <laughs> I, I know, but, you know, I'm, I'm, over, I'm over dramatic. Well, but it's an overly dramatic situation. So anything sure. that can be done to dial it down is really significant. And after all, you are, you are giving your body, your life over to the hands of somebody who you really don't know. And you don't know their situation. You don't know their emotional state. You don't know what stress they're under or the whole team. You don't know the condition of the hospital. You hope you do, that it's met standards. But really, it's beyond a leap of faith. There's no way to say it. You are putting blind trust into somebody who says they're a doctor, whether they graduate at the top of the class <laughs> or the bottom of the class, right? right. You know, DR doesn't mean that you're good. Well, it, it's kind of scary. It is kind of scary. And that's where for me personally as somebody who chooses a surgeon as well as anybody else when you're in the same place as they are in their office part of what you depend on is the sense you get from it. it's like yes. when you meet somebody at a party you can meet people and you think you, someone says after it's like that gut feeling that you yeah, just you, a trust, you don't trust so this is fabulous, Sasha. As a, a wrap-up, yeah. what are one or two things that somebody can do, or maybe even three things, that if they're interested in this, that they can at least talk to their doctor about it, to even mention it? Do they mention it and say, you know, they're in California, but you're out here on the East Coast? They say, geez, I've heard about this lady. You know, I'd like to be interested in, in having hypnotherapy. Do you have anything like this? Do you even bring it up? Or you just tell the, the doctor tells you you've got a, an anesthesiologist and that's it? Well, it's that's certainly easier for a doctor <laughs> to do right. it Right, he can way. say it's my way or the highway. Well, or she you don't really need it. it. You know, we have all blah, blah, blah. But what I would suggest is I have two things that I hand out to patients beforehand and that they can keep with them. And I know they work because I'll meet people three years later and they'll say, I'm still doing the breathing. I'm still doing the meditation. The box breathing, which we've done in the group, right? That's one of it. Yeah. So I would suggest that somebody's interested in that, that if they could contact me and I free of charge, I would send that out to them. So at least they have something to present to a surgeon and say, there is this information, it's backed up by neuroscience. That would be my first step because otherwise... Well, we can put that in the show notes and... Okay, absolutely. Just leave a PDF for people so they can have absolutely. it as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Because that... And then if they're reluctant, if the doctor is reluctant, it's just give them the information and say, here, here's the proof, doc. Right. You decide or I may go someplace else. Well, 
will, it also, for me, I have to get a sense that a doctor cares about me personally. You know, like it's my only gallbladder, it's my only hip replacement, it's my only. And that if I were to present that and say it's important to me, and the doctor said, you know, I know it is, and it's, it's very nothing. nice, but I, for me, I, I would have to get another opinion. There's a friend of mine just recently had to go through a, a heart procedure. It was unexpected, and it was pretty serious. And she asked the doctor, if I were your wife, would you do this? And I thought, wow, what a great comment. And my husband reminded me, he said, I said the same thing to the doctor. And I don't remember saying that about my dad. If this was your father, would you do this? But it's funny how we forget those things. But when I heard it again, I was like, darn, you know what? I'm not sure I would do that for myself. I would do that for somebody else. It's interesting to say when it's us, we really need to do the same thing. Advocate for ourselves. Yeah. This has been fabulous, Sash. I I love you to death anyway. Back at you. To be able to share you with more people is, you know, there's no way to say special, but that's the only word I can think of. So thank you very much for joining us Absolutely. Doing It Best with Elder Care Success. This show is sponsored by Caremanity, the publishers of How to Survive 911 Medical Emergencies, a step-by-step guide before, during, and after. For your own personalized free file of life, go to www.howtosurvive911.com. All trademarks, brands, and comments are not intended to be substitutes for medical, financial, or legal advice. Please consult a medical, legal, or financial professional for issues relevant to your own personal situation. This show is produced by Caremanity LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2021 Caremanity LLC.